The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guest and host. They don't reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, lighten the fuck up. Enjoy. Now, Crown Vic. Greetings, y'all. Welcome to another fun and exciting edition of the Poorly Made Police Memes podcast. Quick note, I'm trying a new headset out. The rest of the podcast was recorded a couple days ago using a different mic. So if you want to hit me up in my dims and let me know. Actually, no, don't do that. I'm going to get blown up. I'll probably do a poll in the next couple days about that. Before we get going, though, I need to uh, pay the bills and thank our good friend on YouTube, Thoughts of a Police Officer. He is uh, making this podcast possible, so go over there and give him a like and follow it. All the stuff that those YouTubers do. He's been a police officer for just over 10 years and worked third shift until just a few months ago. He created the Columbus Police Body Camera YouTube channel so citizens could see what police officers are really like without all the media spin. He recently started out the Thoughts of a Patrol Officer YouTube channel. This is a place where he can share stories from his career and talk about stuff. That's in the news. He's not a comedian. He doesn't sing or dance. He's just a patrol officer who shares his non-BS thoughts about what's happening in the world. P.S. When his channel hits 5,000 subscribers, he will live stream himself eating a dozen donuts, which I will definitely not masturbate to. Now, I hope you guys enjoy the podcast I've got tonight for you. I interviewed a guy who is a assistant sheep, sheep, chief out in M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. I thought it was a pretty good conversation. We talked about a lot of stuff and he I didn't honestly know he was brass until the day I sent him a message that, "Hey, what do you want to talk about?" I didn't realize. I knew he was off the road, but I've been talking to him for years. So he's a good fella. I think it brings some insight into some different things and I think he gives some pretty honest answers about how things are. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Before we get to that though, I want to talk a little bit about accountability. In my own accountability, I, since the time I've left, really, and and really a little bit before, I kind of ate my feelings. And for lack of a better term, I am a big, fat piece of shit right now. So I, uh, and I think weight loss, and some people can empathize with this, I am a person that I've gone back and forth on my weight my entire life. I've been fat, I've been skinnier, and then I've been you know, humongous and lost weight and gained it. I've gone kind of back and forth. You know that guy, Drew Carey, kind of like that. Sometimes you see me super fat. Sometimes he looks pretty good. So I'm at a point where I'm pretty fucking fat right now. And for me, shaming and peer pressure has always worked. So here's what we're going to do. I'm not going to get super personal and, you know, post pictures and, you know, shirtless pictures on Instagram. Officer Daniels. But... Uh, and I'm not even going to tell your weight, but every time I record these little intros to the podcast, which is not always the day I record, but every time I record one of these, I'm going to update you and I'll say down so many pounds. That way I, I have some accountability to a bunch of people that I'm uh, taking care of myself a little better. So so that's what that's about if you hear that in the future. All right, enough of me. Now the band. I'm going to fuck up the name of it. I'm going to try not to fuck it up. But, now I thought about it too long. 
Enceladus, it is a named after a moon of Saturn. I was enlightened about. They're a fucking metal band. I enjoy metal. So they are a progressive death metal band from West Palm Beach, Florida. The bass player is a 14-year LEO vet and currently a sergeant over training a canine at a local PD. If you're into bands that, like... See, I'm, I can't say the names of the bands. Gochira and Mudvayne. And then... <laughs> I'm totally fucking up their thing because I can't say the name of the band. And Cletus is right up your alley. The band has just... And by the way, you fucking look at the description so you spell it right when you go look to it because I can't pronounce shit. You guys should know that by now. Uh, and Cletus was right up your alley. The band was just had just stepped in the studio to record their first EP expected to drop by the end of the year. However, we'll be in a tour in October through Florida in support of a fellow metal band, Claustrophobia, from Brazil. And they've got a bunch of tour dates coming up in October and November in Florida. So if you're down in Florida and you like some fucking metal, go check these guys out. So without further ado and more of me mispronouncing the name, here is Enclitus Samsonite. As the stealth bombers rolled out the assembly line, Rumors surfaced that the military was test-flying recovered alien craft at a secret government base known as Area 51. No, I figured uh, I saw you put out the question today for, hey, I've got a Mississippi guy and he's brass, you know, hit up my inbox. Uh, yeah, I thought the same thing you did. It's like, man, the, uh, you know, probably every inbred deputy meme that you put out in the past is probably about to surface, you know, then then the uh, brass hate on top of that. So I was like, man, I'm, I'm about to get roasted. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So well, I'm, there's a few I'm ready. That are pretty good, so. <laughs> okay. All right, man. So I've got a fuck, man. I might leave that little bit in. It's kind of funny. Uh, I've got Matt here. A, uh, you know, I'm not going to give you shit for being a, the brass here, but you are a cop out in Mississippi. Is that correct? That's right. Cool, man. So uh, how are you doing tonight? Pretty good. Uh, got a sunburn for doing yard work out outside today. So uh, I'm kind of unwinding and this is my first podcast to ever participate in. I, I listen to a lot of them uh, on all kinds of topics. But uh, I guess uh, I'm just relieved that my first one to uh, test out is poorly made because I, I don't think I'm going to let anyone down on the poorly made aspect of it. Yeah, so, well, I'm, I'm I'm glad I'm here to to pop your cherry, so to speak. Dude, <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm fucking wrecked. I went to took the kids to the lake this afternoon, uh-huh. and uh, you know it's fucking September, but it's still hot out, man. I'm I'm like fuck, man. I got to stay up and do this podcast. I don't fucking go to sleep. But then I saw you were on the roster, and I was like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna have a good chat. Before we get into the uh, the, the fun shit, are you drinking anything tonight, bud? Uh, not tonight, man. It's a, it's a work night for me. Uh, but if it weren't, it would be anything from plain old beer, whiskey, vodka, or something as wild as a Four loco. So, you know, I can... You're hardcore, kind of, uh, Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Being as close as you are to Tennessee, because this kind of relates to the last podcast I did, uh, what's your thoughts on Jack Daniels? Because the last guy thought it was overrated, which I was kind of surprised. You know, Jack Daniels is fun. Uh, Jim Beam's a little cheaper, so I usually go for it. But, uh, you know, as long as it's not Kentucky Tavern or anything like that, then 
Yeah, I probably couldn't tell you the difference in a blind taste test. And, you know, I've already told you I drink four locos, so the my my palate isn't, I guess, as refined <laughs> as some people's. But yeah, you but, got uh, fucking nah, COVID, man. Me. You got no taste. Yeah, yeah, I am uh, still recovering, trying to get my smell back. Oh, there you go. So the, the beer I'm trying today, which I'm a little ashamed of, but fuck it, I I got it. It's a very random beer. It's a German chocolate cupcake 10W40 beer. And it's from the High Wire Brewing Company, which, uh, oh, North Carolina. I don't know how the fuck I got it all the way out here. I'm terrified. This is either going to be the best thing I've ever put in my mouth or the worst. Well, there's been lots of bad things I've put in my mouth. So let's see here. The, uh, the 10W40 tells me a lot. What the fuck? It tastes like fucking WD40. <laughs> it you found some weird it stuff. It doesn't taste like German chocolate cake or beer. Fuck, man, two in a row, two duds in a row. I had fucking a shitty beer last week, and now I got this shitty beer. Well, thank goodness I've got my, uh, my Hawkeye whiskey and my fucking Coke sitting next to me, so we'll be good to go. It sounds like one of those $12 six-packs. Uh, it is. Dude, the best beer is not fucking... Uh, I hate that, man. They get these fucking fancy pants beers. You just want to try one. I, I think this one was like four or five bucks just to buy one can of it. It tastes like dog shit, and I won't finish it. Anyway... That's a, a sour start to the podcast, but enough about my, my, my horrid life and my shitty beer. Let's talk about you, man. So how long do you have on the job? Cop-wise, I'm about 10, 11 years in. I started at a, uh, at a campus police department in Mississippi. Uh, it's one of the major SEC schools. And uh, you, know, you kind of, they're real heavy on community policing and PR and whatnot. So I guess at the time, I didn't really appreciate that angle. Uh, you know, I was fresh out of the academy you know, ready to roll. I didn't, I didn't stay there long. I uh, ended up going to a uh, metro agency right on the outskirts of Memphis, Tennessee. I was on night shift and dude, I had a blast there. It was, it was just wide open, goes down range, green light every night. So that was really, uh, really a fun fit for me. Uh, so just cop wise, just at my cop, the core of my cop heart, I'm very proactive, uh, all about pushing the envelope very uh, statistically driven as far as enforcement, kind of real edgy on, you know, it's always trying to push, uh, you know, push the encounter to new levels uh, as far as just being creative, had a lot of fun doing foot patrols at night through parking lots, uh, through hotels, apartment complexes, riding blacked out in neighborhoods and just stumbling into stuff. Uh, statistical driven. What, what do you mean by that exactly? So nothing, uh, nothing as smart as like comp stat or, you know, ILP, nothing like that. It's just more about every pay period, the lieutenant would post our stats on the door. You know, number of tickets, number of arrests, number of reports, number of foot patrols. So that kind of, uh, that, that kind of pushed us, you know, to try to win, you know, that race every pay period. You know, some didn't care, but the guys that were competitive were always, uh, they were always watching that, that list when they got posted. You know, I, I did a good job on staying on top of that list. I was, I was the guy that would, they would initiate a stop at, you know, five minutes until the end of shift and get an arrest and, and uh, be glad to get that one more tally mark on the board. Uh, yeah, so there's obviously different opinions on, you know, on that as itself, but. I'm conflicted on that. And not to open this can of worms because you got a whole lot of shit to talk about, but I think it's, you know, there's this fine balance, right? Because quota, obviously, quota equals bad, right? Sure. And what you're talking about isn't exactly a quota. It's just basically, to me, it's being prideful in your work and, you know, going out there and busting ass. But 
I think he could probably have some people be critical of it saying, well, you have the, you know, you're basically, you're doing this shit. So you get a mark instead of doing the right thing. But I mean, is that, has that kind of changed your, cause I know we're going to jump into this a little bit, but you're, you know, you're uh, obviously a supervisor now. Does that, you know, does that go into your thinking at all? Like, well, I don't want my guy yes. out there, you know, pushing stats because that could look bad. Yes. Uh, so that's, that's one of the many areas where the officer version of me is in direct conflict with the administrator version of me. I'm not real big just on measuring the force of stats because that's only a piece of what we do. Now, the one thing about what makes that department I was at at that time, which makes them kind of a unique ecosystem, is they were there. They shared a border with South Memphis, Tennessee. They uh, had a lot of commercial shopping space, a lot of uh, real estate that was better than uh, what was on that other side of the border in Memphis. So you really couldn't wear it out, you know. Uh, a lot of the population of your daily, you know, transient population didn't even live there. Uh, a lot of crime on the border. So it was, it was a really unique environment. It's not your typical just, you know, your typical city. It had a real, real different relationship with, you know, with the city above it. So I think that kind of helps as far as like how you couldn't really break that thing as far as community relations in certain aspects, as far as just your patrol going out and just being 100% every night. Uh, and, and I'm not I'm not necessarily shitting on that because I'll be I'll be completely honest with you, man. Like I I was very prideful in you know a in my work and you know writing good reports and doing good investigations and shit like that. But I yeah. I at least until I fucking lost my shit. But up until the end, I I really pushed myself to just go out there and do what I'm working. I get paid for ten hours of work, go out there and do what I'm supposed to be doing kind of thing. So I, I think it motivates guys to be bu- busy, but I also can kind of see how that could also, especially if you have someone that's uh, a tad bit shady, they could fucking, you know, write somebody a ticket. They probably shouldn't write a ticket just to fluff up shit. Yeah. So you always got to look at quality control too. Anytime that you are pushing quantity, you want to make sure you're not sacrificing quality. Uh, you know, that's something I pay to pay attention to, you know, my role today. But more so, not just being enforcement heavy. And that's, that's not the officer version of me dying away, but it's just zooming out and realizing that, you know, for one, you can't, you can't have a, a patrol division that's always kicking everyone's ass. There's got to be that. You've got to have the guy, you know, willing to take information report that's willing to tow a car for the mediator. I think all the officers should be intentional with each other if they're all competing with each other. So, you know, the one that doesn't mind working the wreck. So you got to have all those odds and ends to fill in the gaps that are left by the, by the other half. So I kind of appreciate that more nowadays, you know, as far as managing the entire department, you, you kind of see that relationship a little better. So you were at this uh, bigger city on the outskirts of Memphis. And then where did your career mm-hmm. take you? When, uh, well, see, I, I stayed at that department for a good bit of time, uh, worked my way out of patrol, tested for CID. And I took that the CID being investigations, general investigations. Uh, I took that same attitude to investigations, which kind of broke the, uh, you know, the typical stereotype, you know, that, that you see in your memes as far as the, the overweight, lazy, overworked detective that underperforms. I took that same proactive, just, you know, volume-driven attitude and uh, had a lot of fun with it, racked up a ton of overtime. So in this time period, I'm, I'm single, no kids. So just time is abundant. Getting into some really cool stuff, burglary rings, uh, organized crime, gangs, RICO, uh, a lot of multi-layer conspiracy type stuff. And uh, kind of made a niche for myself uh, into cyber crimes, 
even even just bringing cyber investigations into your ordinary just burglary stuff, which is sounds fancy, but it's as simple as just dumping a burglar's you know Facebook Messenger doing a search warrant to Facebook, and uh, that that was a gold mine of stuff. It it always lead to you know fifty other charges when you start figuring out all the other stuff that they're into. So uh, I had a lot of fun in that uh, assignment. And uh, so during this time as patrolling CID, I also was kind of building a reputation as kind of the go-to guy for, you know, how do I fix this screw up I have as far as case law, procedure, uh, policy, stuff like that. So that our department created a new position called Office of Professional Standards, which was responsible for kind of fixing our outdated policy, developing training programs, kind of overhauling the supervision system. So I put in for that unopposed, got it. And what that job did is it worked on behalf of the chief so i was kind of like his arms and legs as far as like problem solver um stuff that was system-wide so it differed from internal affairs in that if uh, internal affairs would handle something where one officer did something that was wrong whereas my role in professional standards was what are we doing across the board that's either unenforced or where there's a policy gap or we're getting results that are unsatisfactory but there's, there's a gap somewhere in the system. So it was kind of more of that, more of that zoomed out view on the whole department. So I, I've kind so of felt hold that Hold on was... a second, because in my old department, professional standards was updating, basically updating policy procedure and making sure CALEA standards were met. That's part of it. So I wore a lot of hats in that role. You, you can shove a lot in that umbrella. So yes, uh, seeking accreditation was um, kind of how the assignment started. The ones that got me in there, all the things that are tied to accreditation that we were having to kind of ramp up led to more and more rabbit holes of things that we wanted to either improve, add, or fix. And some of it was just for the sake of accreditation. Some of it was stuff that we really needed and wanted. So it kind of led into, uh, you know, just looking for ways to evaluate the overall effectiveness of the department based on solutions that relate to policy, training, or supervision. Those are the key three elements or policy, training, and supervision. So it was kind of, what are the everything problems? And then accreditation was just one piece of that. So I guess, uh, get to your can question. I, can so, I ask you a little bit about the accreditation? Cause I'm curious, were you, were you guys on the CALEA train? No, we were doing the, uh, the local, the, the state version of it uh, before okay. we were ramping up to CALEA. And uh, to, to be honest, the accreditation project, it, it kind of fizzled out because we got so busy with just everything else and just day, day-to-day fires. Uh, and that same time, they they added an IA division, so there was a lot of uh, a lot of conversations going on, a lot of like, I guess a lot of bridges being built at once. So as far as I know, the the accreditation project is still underway over there. But what, uh, what are your thoughts on a department getting accredited? Do you think that's a, a necessary, quote unquote, evil? Or I, I'm just curious what your thoughts are because I don't know a ton about it, other than it just, in my opinion, and I'm I'm ground view right like i have no idea what the professional standards folks did but i was like there's fucking cops up there and we're getting hammered with calls on the road why isn't there some Mm -hmm. administrative person why does it take four fucking people to do that shit and part of it i think was the Kalia stuff but i i don't know i didn't understand it why it was needed i guess uh yeah that could be a podcast in itself i think part of it depends on where you're starting as a department you know uh there's no surprise in Mississippi. You, you'll see some stuff that would shock you as far as how agencies are operating. Uh, you know, one, it's Mississippi. Then two, just by nature of being Mississippi, a lot of those departments are small. Uh, don't have a whole lot of exposure to what other departments are doing. 
So if you're starting from that standpoint, accreditation, this is a very good go by like a framework of how to build a department around it just to just have basic systems of review uh, policies are adequate. I mean, we're talking departments uh, and this is the Mississippi thing, but you're just talking departments that either have no policy, little policy, or just policy that's just not even referenced because it's just not part of their daily thought process. Now, if you're going to do accreditation just to check the boxes, just to get the seal and get the certificate, it's a total waste of time because that, that's, that's the problem that created the need for accreditation is the agencies had policies and standards, but they weren't meeting them. So they were just kind of just, you know, playing whack-a-mole on call to call doing every ship's kind of doing their own thing. So you defeat the purpose. In other words, if you. That in that scenario, that makes sense to me is, is kind of having a playbook because having no policy at all is that's the problem, obviously. I, and the mm-hmm. more I think about it, it kind of cracks me up because I know a lot of agencies are in deep shit. Well, for some legit things, some not legit things. And I think a lot of them had fucking Kalia. So I'm glad that fucking worked out really good for everybody. I guess the best question would be, did they adhere to what the Kalia standards were as an agency? And so accountability is going to be your, that's going to be your make or break. You know, anytime you put standards in place, whether it's Kalia, whether it's your own standards. Overall, I think it's inevitable. You know, the, the overall direction of law enforcement is, you know, nationwide. I think, you know, even in Mississippi, we're, we're getting letters about how to revise our, our uh, deadly force policies on chokeholds and things of that nature. So you're, you're kind of seeing, you're seeing out, outside influence, at least in our area, for, for the very first time. And to me, that just points to just more and more overall standardization. So I, I feel like it's, it's, coming, it's coming today or tomorrow, but at some point, it is something to go ahead and be ready for. Fair enough. Can you hear my dog barking, by the way? Just barely. Surprised okay. mom's being quiet. Yeah, I thank God I don't have my microphone working today or she'd be, she's like out of control up there. Some madness. So I lost my whole train of thought. So I keep uh, rudely interrupting you and going off on wild tangents. All right, so you went to the professional standards and then what happened? I started digging a really good niche in that role, getting some momentum. Uh, the more momentum I got, the more spread out I got. And I'm, I'm, and this isn't, this is just life. This isn't a critique of that place or that role, but I, I felt myself coming in uh, just being more and more distracted with new projects on top of unfinished projects. And that kind of is what got me to the point of even flirting with the idea of taking another job somewhere. Uh, so it wasn't due to dissatisfaction necessarily. It started with uh, frustration and I started you know, looking at opportunities and opportunity came to me, which was taking a spot as assistant chief in a smaller department that was nearby. So I'd be taking a step backwards in terms of going from what from Mississippi as a large agency to a smaller agency, but uh, it would be an easy transition because the responsibilities are about the same because mind you, the professional standard is all stuff on behalf of the chief. So the, uh, the tasks and the mindsets are kind of interchangeable. But what I really liked about this new job is that it came with the title self-explanatory that when you slap on the resume is transferable it's easy to sell whereas professional standards just, just like you and i just kind of had this you know realization that your professional standards is different from ours just what what you know gets shoved under that umbrella so it's kind of a hard a hard skill set to just pack up and take somewhere from the lateral so i felt myself in the position that if i were to ever leave that agency from the position of professional standards I'd have to start over at patrol, wherever else to go and build my way back up and kind of rebuild and reprove myself. Whereas if I were to make the leap into uh, the, the upper upper ranks, uh, upper administration, that is something that 
even in our area, you typically see does get to lateral and bounce from side to side. The other side of that is that you're now in the political world, which is what allows you to lateral and bounce around and be appointed uh, here and there and elsewhere. But I was I was looking for scalability, in other words. So this is kind of a first step in that direction. You know, do this uh, for as long as the getting's good. And, uh, you know, the next step, uh, try to ladder it onto a larger department, just keep kind of keep piggybacking until I guess I hit the finish line, which of that's time or achievement based or what have you. So you brought up uh, an interesting thing as far as lateraling. And I, I obviously cannot speak for everywhere. Yeah. But usually when you lateral, you start, well, I guess once you get into the upper echelons, you, you really don't. I, I, re, I withdraw my question. I'm going to go. I wasn't thinking clearly when I uh, I started asking it, so fuck me. Um, well, that's that's poorly made, and I'm I'm glad to see that's the two of us there together. Yeah, I was like, hey, wait a second, you can't lateral to a ch- oh, wait a second, good. It's one. not necessarily called a lateral; it's called a being appointed, and yeah. uh, you can be appointed today and be in the last chief that I left. Uh, we had that conversation. He goes, you can be disappointed tomorrow. And at first, that hit me as he was saying, like, he could be upset tomorrow. Then I realized what he did there is kind of a play on words, appointed and then unappointed, as in disappointed. I was like, hell yeah, you, that's right. Now you can wake up fired the next day because some goofball does something, you know, while I was sleeping. And the, the most uh, visible symbol for the city government to show correction that says, well, we fired the chief. That problem solved, you know. Yeah, everything's so it, fixed. It, we fired the chief. Yes. So it comes Everything to the risk. Solved. We saved the city, Patrick. We saved the city. Now you're you're at the smaller agency as an assistant chief. Are you because it's a smaller agency? Do you do anything with the road or with investigations? Or are you purely administrative? So here's the thing about smaller agencies. Uh, to answer your question, yes, I, I do a lot. I wear more hats today than I did at my last agency, which is a little ironic. So my small agency, I'm talking. We got about thirty sworn. Uh, the, the previous agency was they're working their way up to about 150 sworn at this point. So it was quite a big step back uh, just in you know the number of people that, that are under management. One thing I learned about working going to a smaller department is you have to be super clear on role clarity and like what hat you're wearing right now just because in a smaller department you're going to be wearing more than one hat. So when I my, my previous agency there, there was a division or a support staff member to handle every type of problem. It was really easy to outsource and move stuff out. And you kind of you could kind of stay focused on whatever your thing was. So in my current role, you, if you took our whole support staff and combined it, that's what I do. So it, it's easy to get confused if you're not super, super aware of okay, I'm I do a lot of stuff that's not assistant chief based. You know, and uh to your question as far as hitting the street, I don't necessarily find myself uh, you know, patrolling around and just killing time. But, uh, you know, my radio's on if there's a hot call. It's a small enough agency where everyone from the chief down will jump up and, and go get a piece, you know, whether that's because it's not necessarily because the manpower just would collapse if we didn't go. But it's just, I think, uh, the, the chief I work with, he, he came from the same agency that I came from. We kind of came there at about the same time and kind of do an overhaul. So we have similar mindsets on that. We're both just, we're both go-getters at our heart, at our, you know, at our officer core. So, yeah, we, we do make a lot of scenes. Uh, we get dirty. But I find uh, the busier and busier you get, the harder it is to keep doing that. And it's, it's not for lack of any passion, but it's, you know, I guess it's that, that, that load just building on top of you that, uh, yeah, a lot of people kind of underestimate as far as, you know, the, the number of things you get juggled behind the scenes. 
So everybody, everybody complains about manpower. Everyone thinks that everyone else is just a crybaby. Just, you know, investigators complain about patrol and vice versa. The school resource officers will probably tell you that they're overwhelmed with, you know, the, the things that they get tasked with. So it's, it's, a, it's just it's something. It's a circle of life, man. Real quick, I'm going to jump kind of a little backwards and, and we'll get into more shit. But as far as Mississippi goes, what's the status of law enforcement there? What's the, I guess, the community relations? You know, is, I like to ask the broad question if the job is dead in Mississippi. Man, not, not at all. Uh, Mississippi, at least in my experience, uh, it's been pretty much untouched by the overall national sentiment of anti-police. You know, your, your bad guys and the gangbangers, you know, they're always going to talk trash. But uh, the overall community and the, the majority of law-abiding citizens, uh, when, you know, they still, you know, give you the thank you for your service every time you pass them, going in and out of the gas station. They pick up the tab at the restaurants for you. So to give you, uh, just to give you kind of a glimpse at this, and I'm going to have to recycle this answer, but, you know, when we get to q and I'm sure someone's going to ask what's, what's the deal with Mississippi. But the, the best thing about working in the South, especially Mississippi, is that the overall community has such strong support for us. We, uh, we put out a, a Facebook post for a uh, press release on the pursuit that we had recently. And I think we, for, and we're talking small agency in Mississippi, that, that post reached 100,000 people. One person that stuck out in that comment section that's, that kept those naysaying the pursuit, it, it resulted in a wreck, no civilians were injured or anything like that. So she voiced her opinion about, you know, what she thought was, you know, whether pursuits are worth it. And that's her opinion. And I don't have an opinion on her opinion, but she voiced it. Uh, it, it wasn't supportive. And what immediately happened afterwards was just a stampede of people just jumped on her and <laughs> of pro police uh, comments. And you don't see that. If you, if you check, like, you know, the Facebook post on, you know, News Atlanta, anything like that, other agencies or other areas, you don't see that same amount of support. So that, that's probably one of the best things about the South and, and where we're at in Mississippi, it's just community support. So another job, job's not dead. Uh, you know, it doesn't pay any good down here, but that is the one thing that we can offer. I would say with the exception of Jackson, Mississippi, probably, uh, they're, they're a population city-wise, about 200,000. Metro area is probably half a million, I'm guessing. Fact checkers come in, but they they don't have an extremely supportive overall sentiment. I can tell you the coast is, uh, they're active and supported. But then all of the metro areas surrounding Jackson are active and supported as well as uh, North Mississippi and with the same thing with the Memphis area. But once you get away from those three major bubbles, it's pretty rural. And I think the more rural you get is, I think support, you know, overall just goes up, even though you just have, you have fewer supporters, but the, you know, the, most of them, I'd say there's just fewer and fewer haters out there. Mississippi, as far as getting certified as a cop, is that a fairly easy process? Is there a lateral process to Mississippi? Yes. Uh, so Mississippi uh, Post accepts laterals. It's kind of up to the agency what standards they want to put on top of that. Uh, so if you lateral to Mississippi from outside as a certified officer, uh, you're looking at a six-week refresher program uh, at one of our state accredited academies. The uh, the six-week refresher is a good bit more relaxed than like you know, your basic. You know, they're, you're not marching or anything like that. It's usually you know nine to five type thing. It, a little variation depending on where you go, but overall they get, they treat you with respect of you know, being a certified officer. So you're you're looking at six weeks on uh, on that topic. Okay, okay. And I like to ask that just because I know how a lot of people that 
work around the country where things kind of suck. So I like mm-hmm. to give that little tidbit. War story. That's another thing I've been trying to make a, a thing on the podcast here. Do you got a good uh, a war safe war story for all the kids out there to get the rocks off on? Man, I mean, yeah, uh, that's like, uh, you know, you walk up to someone who's a civilian and say, what's the worst thing you've ever seen? And uh, I've always asked myself, like, why, why do cops kind of get touchy about that? Is it because they haven't healed from what they've seen? And I, and I think it's more of a, you know, obviously that's part of it, you know, depending on what we're talking about. But the other part of it is, I think it's our egos, is that, hey, this person is trying to size up my entire career, you know, based on how well I answer this one question. So it's like, hey, now screw you. You know, there, there's too much for me to sit here and just prove to you that it's a hard question. It's a hard question yeah. to answer because people ask me that shit all the time. What's what's your favorite story? Fuck, I, I don't mean, know. And, and what I think is funny, or I think is relevant, other people might think not think is funny. But you know, don't you fucking yeah. you, got, you got real on me there for a second, man. But yeah, it's well, right. No, I mean, it's like, it's like I came up to you in the gas station. Where you're trying to get a fucking coffee, and I was like, "Hey, man, what's going <laughs> no, on we're today?" Cool. Yeah, no, we're cool. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that's what you're doing. Uh, no, I'm happy to answer the question, but that just, uh, you know, that's always like I said, it's just tough to to spit out. Like, okay, here, here's my best. You know? uh, so I guess uh, I'll go with two. One, one for each agency, not counting the campus PD. So the previous agency, we had a, uh, and this is more as far as what the what the agency experienced as a whole. I wasn't on the front lines for this. We we had an active shooter. Couple of years ago, uh, which was one of those things you didn't think would ever come, you know, to your agency. And it's just one of those, you know, just something somewhere else kind of stories. So I was uh, I was actually in professional standards when it happened. For some reason, I still had my pager from when I was still a detective. They, they just didn't collect it or thought for some reason I might need it. But so anyhow, I had it, and for some reason it was still on my nightstand with a good battery, I hadn't gone off since I got in that division. And then uh, one morning it goes off at like six thirty. I was like, that's weird, because they, they would have had to include me on the page out. So I grab it, and it's like an all, all call, which is like everyone on the roster, like, get up, come here, whatever. Did you say a pager? Yes, it is a – so – Whoa! <laughs> I, it, it, it didn't hit just, me for a second, and then, uh, then you I said just went it Mississippi. again. Like, I didn't even know they still had pagers. D- just went Mississippi on you there. Uh so they issue pagers. Uh, now, if it makes you feel better, no one actually carried them. That's why I like, was like just sitting like somewhere. I, I never, ever carried that thing. The first thing you would do once you were issued a pager was you would go to the dispatch center and say, route all these pages to my, uh, my company's cell phone. And you would just save that number with like the nuclear alarm ringtone that would give you an arrhythmia when it goes off in the middle of the night. So that's what I always relied on. But yeah, so I just, I'm just beyond <laughs> like I can't get over a pager. Like I remember my dad as a cop in like 1995 had a fucking pager. <laughs> yeah, uh, in fact, uh, I guess on that on going down that rabbit hole of pagers after after I resigned from that agency, uh, about seven or eight months after I resigned from there, one of the administrators contacted me. He's like, "Hey, do you still have our pager? We're turning him in for credits." And I was like. <laughs> Damn, dude, I have no, like, I've moved houses, like, since this has happened, you know, so I'm here, I am looking for a pager that I've never used in the first place, uh, but yeah, I eventually found it, stuck it in my mailbox, they came and got it, I'm sure they got, like, a $12 credit for it, yeah, it had, like, the green, uh, the green background screen with the little, you know, analog or whatever numbers with the little stick legs, so, That's I mean, we're, we're talking a full one, like, like I, wow. not a smart pager, like, just a pager. 
like you know, like play, imagine playing uh, Snake on a Nokia brick. So Pager goes off. And I grab this thing. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell is this thing going off? You know, like you know, I'm not on call out. So I grab it and it just says active shooter, and uh, I kind of sit there and look at it, and I'm still waking up. It's like what? And it was kind of like the the scene from Home Alone one where they roll over, you know, kind of in a slumber. They stare at their their bedside clock and then they all just like realize what just happened everybody jumps it's like we gotta go you know that kind of thing yeah so that was kind of that moment for me i was like active shooter it's like you know you know then i reacted to, to what it was and hopped up and i lived i lived one mile so i got the all call page uh, i rolled up uh scene was uh still moments from being secure i was still kind of rolled in while it was still hot there there's a body in the parking lot and uh, I mean, it, it was real. Yeah, I was fortunate enough, you know, as, as far as my, my safety goes, to have not had to jeopardize myself. I, I came there to be part of that. You know, whatever they needed, I'm, I'm there to help. The, the initial responders did an excellent job of getting the scene secured pretty quick. One of our officers took around to the back. The shooter was taken into custody. I think he took around, but he survived. He's still awaiting winning his resolution. Uh, I think they kept him on state charges, but I think he's looking at a capital offense case uh so, I mean, that was a big shot okay yeah no the officer he was he was lucky i think he took it it was outside the vest like it i mean he took it you know it was some minimal hospitalization as far as the placement around he was real lucky i'm, I'm not positive where it was I, I want to say it was one of those uh under the arm or side shots in the open area of the vest you know that's one of those things where i think you know a quarter inch one way or the other way it'd be a different story so that was, you know, as an agency, that's, that's not, not really my story, but, you know, as an agency, that's, you know, that's up there as far as just being, you know, in the moment of that, experiencing that, responding to the scene. And of course, that's like an eight-hour scene. You don't just show up and clear from that. Oh, uh, no, just watching yeah. all the precautions that unfolded because there, there was a lot of concern about there being another shooter in the building, you know, because when people start reporting stuff to 911, like you're getting overlapping messages, people are confused. So, I mean, it was a cluster, just, just like any of those situations always are, drive to the scene. And knowing that you're a mile from the scene, you get the pager, call out, you know, you throw in your pants that are wrinkled and go. So, like, you're, you're trying to get there before it's not safe. So, I guess that the, the response to that type of call, the what if, is always kind of like the real moment. <clears throat> and then once you get there, you kind of go into autopilot on, on, you know, whether you roll up to someone with a rifle in your face or whether it's your rifle in their face, from there, you know, you know training and instinct and motivation takes over so you don't really have time to think you know that's an interesting thing you brought up is responding to calls at least for me was a lot different than being on scene because you're right you know especially if it's something fucking hot but even on the Mm -hmm. simple calls you you know you talk to yourself all right this is what i gotta think about this is what i got blah 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 all the way to the call and then once you get there it's it's autopilot you just you just you just function and you function better. I think if, you know, you've had better training, but, or, you know, that's a whole nother debate, but you know, you just, you get in there. I mean, how many times have you been on a call and you know, something happens and your gun's fucking in your hand before, and you didn't even realize you drew it um, because yeah. of just the instinct of it. And you took so many repetitions out of the range and, and doing all that shit. So it is, that, that is an interesting point you brought up because I don't know if you ever read too, man, when I ride with my buddies, you know, we'd have, you know, you'd always talk out the whole fucking call before you got there. And then when you got mm-hmm. there, it was something completely fucking different. So you wasted yeah. all that energy. 
So, but it's always good to, good to have that idea in your head. So did you have something else you want to talk about in a different agency or you want to? Yeah. Yeah. I'll try to make this one quicker. This is a, this is my current agency and this is your typical admin story. Uh, so Chase and I were coming back from lunch and radio goes <laughs> off. <laughs> you know, we had that admin lunch and, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have that meeting at lunch. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm, yeah. 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 After checking emails and whatnot. So we're, we're coming back from our admin luncheon. I think we had hibachi that day. So we're both stuffed like pigs that we are. And I'm in the, I'm in a fleet car this day because like any good administrator, I wrecked my assigned vehicle in the parking lot against a pole of our own PD, me versus pole backing up. So it's getting joke, body work. The jokes right themselves, <laughs> man. You got fucking hibachi. You got fucking wrecking cars. You're a train wreck, man. Oh, yeah. So uh, for the reason that my assigned vehicle is at the body shop getting the dings hammered out of it, I, I grab a pool car that day just off the line. And, and I, I'm just being sloppy, dude. I don't have any gear with me. I don't have my throwover. I don't have my rifle. I, I'm just, I'm not even, I don't have a vest on. I'm just, you know, admin officer just wearing a, you know, wearing a gun with one one spare mag on the other side. Coming back from uh, from lunch and this call comes out about a drive-by shooting on the interstate. Man, we gun it, you know, uh, adrenaline kicks in. We, we want a piece. So we're on our way. And uh, we show up at the gas station where the victim is. The victim exited the interstate, pulled over and, He's like flopping out in the parking lot, shot, cars got bullet holes in it. And they're just pointing to you know, the interstate. Like, you know, he, he continued on the interstate. So I'm like, you know, what kind of car is it? Of course, that's like a back and forth shouting match. Like, what kind of car is it? You know, he can't put together any good information. So someone else finally gives me what I'm looking for, a black man, I think. So uh, Chief's out of the car uh, dealing with, you know, all the chaos on the scene. And I guess that autopilot or just like that, just got to get them type thing kicks in. So I jump back in my car and, I, and I'm flying south. I'm trying to catch up to this car on the interstate we're looking for. And as I'm catching up, the radio's updating. Okay, there's a second car. There's a third car. It's, it's a Mustang. It's a van. So there's like a caravan rolling out. I got my blue lights on, running code. And once I get a good bit out of our jurisdiction, yeah, I'm still hauling ass and everything. I'm like, all right, I, I got to call this. I, I don't even know what I'm chasing. I don't. They're not in my eyesight. I don't know if they're even here. I'm, I'm just, you know, shot in the dark. I don't know what I'm doing. So I deactivate all of my equipment. And I'm, I'm waiting for the next uh, exit to come up, which is several miles down the road. So I just start cruising. And as I'm approaching this exit, it's really rural. I see a, a black minivan exit. And it's got uh, out-of-state plates. But they said it was like a Massachusetts plate or something. So I was like, oh, shit, I got it. Uh, so I hop off the exit behind it. Of course, I don't, you know, I'm in another county, another town. I, I wouldn't be able to tell you where. Well, after we took a couple of turns, like I'd be as turned around as they are. So just from a mutual aid standpoint, that's, you know, dangerous. Of course, my, my red flags aren't kicking in yet. Like, you know, the, the amount of disadvantages that are racking up. They get back on the interstate and uh, they're signaling really carefully and everything, and, you know, pegging the cruise control right on the dot. So they may know I'm behind them. Yeah, I'm in a, my car's unmarked, but it's got a spotlight. It's got brush guard. So. So uh, as we continue down the interstate, I'm giving updates. Like my equipment's off. I'm, I'm just surveilling, you know, in, in a cop car, basically. Uh, so I'm doing like the most overt surveillance possible. And uh, as, uh, as we keep continuing, I start noticing that every time she signals, because it was a female driver, that she signals, another car would signal and signal uh, to the tune of three of them. And they would kind of, you know, slink through the lane changes all in unison. I was like, okay, they're all together. And uh, that was one of 
the times where I had time to really process like, okay, what happens next? I kind of had enough time to get out of that whole, like, got to get them attitude. And that was the first time I think I've ever thought to myself, said, all right, you, you might take some rounds on this because we're talking three vehicles. They're all six deep. They just committed a drive-by shooting. I know some of them are armed. They know I'm a cop. This is fresh off the bat. Just happened. You know, they're saying got to get away type attitude is in play. And here I am. I have no resources behind me. I have no backup with me. I'm headed further and further away from my comm center. So that, that was the first time I've ever had the time to stop and say, you might take rounds on this. And uh, that, that was a pretty, pretty sobering moment. Uh, I knew that my radio was getting further away from its uh, home base. So I took my iPhone, uh, called our dispatch center, put on speakerphone and said, hey, just in case my radio stops working, I'm just going to stick it in my pocket. And that way you just have an open line with me. And uh, long story short, uh, it, we pass several exits. We get way away from our city. Eventually, uh, High Patrol catches up to us and a couple of other small agencies surrounding us, the agency of the city that we were exiting into. And took them all down, like in the middle of Times Square, basically. It's where two, two where the interstate and one of the major highways intersect because we were starting to approach another uh, another metro area. And uh, got them all pruned out. It, it, was a, it was a total cluster. I mean, we're talking, I think we ended up taking 24 people into custody uh, as an initial matter of just getting everything sorted out. That, that ranks up there with me on stories just because I think it's the only time I've really had time to think like you're standing a good chance of walking into a gun battle. And uh, that's fucking wild, dude. Did you, did you guys end up getting the shooter out of that? Yeah. Uh, the, the state agency took over you know, that investigation because the jurisdiction was so, so clustered because we weren't totally sure where the shots were fired. The only, the only jurisdictional landmark we had is where the victim pulled over and got out of the car. Uh, they recovered some firearms, recovered some dope. Some of the guys were felons. Uh, so all of that. And, that, and what I'm speaking to here is all in our press release, so it's not the top secret. But uh, as far as the outcome of the case, it's still pending. Uh, okay. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I can think of a, you know, a couple times in my career where I thought, all right, this is, this is it, man. Because in the academy, they told us, hey, there's, you know, especially now in police work, when I went through, it's a good chance you're going to get into a shooting, you know, a good chance most of you in this reading room could get into a shooting. So that was always in the back of my mind. And, and I had this pursuit once where this dude pulled into this parking lot all by himself and it was just me. And I was like, here it fucking goes. And uh, he kept driving. He ended up pulling a gun on me later, but I've, uh, I've told that story a few times, but yeah, he had a gun malfunction. So that, that worked out pretty well yeah. for me. Yeah. I remember that story on one of your other shows. Yeah. So, yeah. and like, like one of those fucking trolls and clickbait, you're going to have to go fucking find it. Mostly because I, or I, I don't have a ton of time to talk about that. But enough about me. Something I wanted to talk to you about is you sent me a message a while ago when I was kind of poking you on to come onto the podcast. And, and I don't have it pulled up, but essentially where you wanted to talk about how there's always going to be a conflict between administration and the line level officers and why it there needs to be one. Am I, am I misquoting you or misunderstanding? That, that's pretty much it. It's more just why, it's, why there's always that natural tension. Okay. I guess the necessity, the necessity of the natural tension between admin and officers. Let's hear it. And it's, it. It's something I've seen tension resulting in myself, just in who I am at my core as an officer and what I'm responsible for now. 
like there, there's been some shifts in ideology and kind of philosophies on, you know, what the best way is to do something. So like the, the officer version of myself was like always willing to, I mean, I guess be a little reckless, you know, like, like, Hey, I'm willing to die on this hill to solve this problem. I'm not, I'm not backing off. And then I heard myself uh, just recently tell someone, you know, my current role is that, Hey, there is, there is no one arrest that is worth it. You know, th- we have to look at our overall effectiveness as an agency and there's not a single, there's not a single arrest. that's going to Trump, you know, all the days yesterday or all the days tomorrow. And when I said that, that's come of those moments where it's like, you know, where like, I guess parents experience this, like I got, I'm becoming my, my mom or my dad. Like that's when you realize like the, the switch is flipped. But as far as the necessity of tension, the, the tension between the upper ranks and uh, the line officers is what makes the supervision effective, even when they're not on the scene. Is basically knowing that, hey, this jerk is going to check on this. You know, he's he's always trying to jam you up. He, you know, he's going to get you in trouble. So that's that tension, and the tension is what <clears throat> makes people. Is one of the things. You know, there, there's a lot of theories there, but that's one of the things that that keeps uh, kind of keeps the gears turning and on track, even when your supervisor can't always be there standing over your shoulder. You compare it to a kite. You know, you fly a kite, you have to have tension on the string. If uh, if there's no tension on that string, the kite just flies away and does whatever it wants. So, you know, that, that's one metaphor to explain it. The the other thing that comes out of that a lot is the, like the competing theories of uh, manager versus leader. And to me, the answer is that there is no one or the other. It's both. So the, the tension is the manager coming out in us. The leadership role is the side of the manager that people believe in that makes them want to do the right thing, even when he's not there voluntarily, not because of the consequence. But the biggest, the, the biggest uh, hurdle I've experienced in dealing with supervisors, uh, my current role, is only wanting to focus on the leadership role. That's the whole rah-rah, you know, side, you know, everybody, you know, we're everybody's friend. Uh, I'm looking out for my guys. You got to have that, but you, you got to have the other side too. You, you got to have the manager that is enforcing policy, you know, dishing out discipline when there's a deviation from standard uh, and that's holding everyone accountable. Now, accountability can come from the leadership side or it can come from the formal disciplinary side of the manager. The easiest picture I could paint to you about where you would have too much leader in the picture, uh, forget police departments. Say you go to McDonald's and you walk in McDonald's and you're waiting at the counter. No one is walking up to take your order. You look back around the corner in the kitchen and man, everybody's dancing around, high-fiving, making TikTok videos, having a great time, just loving work. And you're sitting there like, hey, can, can I get a freaking burger, please? You know, and then they finally come up and take your order. Then it's wrong, you know then you can't get a refund. So that, that's like a world with no management. So on the other flip side, you've got all managers. Go you, you almost had me lost when you started with the tension thing. And I was about to, I was about to get angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. As a whole thing. Oh yeah. But yeah. No, I, yeah. I hear what you're saying. I, I don't necessarily agree with everything that you're saying. Most of mm-hmm. it or some of it I do. As far as, specifically the tension part to, to counter your, your McDonald's metaphor in theory, the folks you hire to be cops should be, I hate that we live in a world now that 
people, you have to babysit people. And look, it's a fact. It's a fucking fact that you do. I mean, I worked on an agency with a lot of great fucking people. But you guys have fucking seen my memes. There were some dudes mm-hmm. that weren't so great. And I'm not saying they were terrible people or bad cops or violated rights, but I had I have very strong opinions on how the job should be done. And I didn't agree with how they did the job. So I get what, what, what you're saying. I just philosophically, I just wish we were at a point in our, our humanity where we didn't need a babysitter to babysit us to do what we're supposed to do. But I think, but I, I, I see what you're saying. I think there, you can't, you have to have the leadership part. You're right. The raw, raw stuff, you have to have that. And you also have, you got to, you got to just take care of business, right? I, I think where, as far as, and we'll say specifically onto law enforcement is what I didn't like with leadership stuff is the do as I say, not as I do shit. Mm-hmm. And I didn't like, fuck, man, there's a whole laundry list of shit I didn't like from supervisor, but I'll just kind of kind of keep it into one thing. But, you know, the, the playing favorite type shit and, you know, different policies apply to different people. You know, when you're applying punishment or, or even reprimanding somebody, even a verbal reprimand, the rules need to be the same for everybody. And I think that's where shit gets lost. Absolutely, people should be accountable, be held accountable. You know, whatever it is in your department, you need to be held accountable. You know, can't, I hate when people get mad because they fucking knowingly violated policy. And well, I fucking, you know, I don't get why they're hammering me. The guys that fucking made all these YouTube and TikTok videos on duty, and then they were like surprised they got in trouble. You're violating policy. You're fucking violating your policy. You're not supposed to be playing on your phone or uploading videos, shit like that. And then they would act surprised when they got into trouble. See, I don't like yeah. that either. Sorry, man. I'm I'm just fucking off in the left field on this. I'm trying to compute all my thoughts on this. But but with the whole tension part though, is I think you can be a, a supervisor and a good one, a damn good one, and have the respect of your your subordinates, but without there being tension. Now, maybe I misinterpreted you when you said tension. I think of you know, there, you okay. know there, there's not an, an agreement kinda, between, you know what I'm saying? Like, but when you yeah, say tension, yeah. maybe we're talking, we're, you're talking about the kite, right? Where it's the string. Yeah. And I mean, that more than artistic sort of way. Yeah. Uh, I think so you need to find I'm a wrong. different, I think you need to find a different word for that. That doesn't have dual okay. The, uh, so where I get that word from, there's an awesome book called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. that talks about systems of management. They're not even management, just systems in life about how, how things function and how to kind of keep the, the ball rolling. And it, it doesn't matter if it's police department, a shoe factory, McDonald's. Uh, in fact, just side note, anyone studies this stuff, McDonald's is like the, the gold standard uh, systemization, even though their overall reputation is crap for customer service. Oh, I work uh, at McDonald's. Okay, so did y'all have like the, like everything was like regimented. Like if you make a burger, it is like step one, two, three. Oh yeah. Like there's not a whole lot of, so that, that's, that's systems. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so tension, there's a lot of natural tension between the visionary leader and the manager and the technician at the end of the chain who, who carries out the task. So tension, I don't, I don't mean that like in like 
you know, violence of opinion, disagreement, friction, but there's gotta be that. That's what I, that, that was uh, the word I was looking for was more friction. Um, yeah. I'm poorly made. I'm not very articulate. I apologize everybody, but, but now, well, now that we've I'm had this that whole book into that word, I, now that we've had this discussion, I, I think I, we agree a lot more. So. Okay. You can't have cool dad or cool mom running okay. a police department. Um, you so what what is trust? So so leaders that trust their their officers have less tension because those officers have tension with themselves. They hold themselves accountable. But what uh you know to get there what what is trust? You know that that there's a philosophical question that that we'll sit here and talk about for hours. Is what what is trust? In, in a word, trust is verification. And there's a series uh, there's just there, there's a series of times where trust is verified to where overall trust exists. And that, that is where you're, you're at that optimal point, you know, at, at, as an organization, as a shift, as a division, that uh, everyone's in unison. It's kind of like the mastermind concept where, you know, two like minds become aligned and, and it synergizes one plus one equals three. So at the core of all that, to, to get there, there has to be verification. And then think about any relationship where you have trust outside of work, uh, whether you trust an instrument, you trust a tool, you trust a vehicle, uh, there's some kind of hit you crown Vic. There you go. <laughs> uh, there, there's some kind of historical verification where it's reliable because you've tested it. Dude, I saddened that I fucked up part of this uh, conversation because I, I, I attacked you because I misunderstood what you were saying, but yeah, dude, I, you're right on. I let's um, let's shake hands. I, I like this. Uh, I'm cutting this out. I'm fucking awkward, dude. I'm oh leave it in. It's poorly. You made. fucking you got me so twisted on that <laughs> and I was so fucking angry about it. And then I was like, and then I took a deep breath and I was like, wait a second. We're not talking about the same things, are we? So you always gotta define your terms before you have a debate. That's uh, a lesson I learned a long time ago. Yeah. All right. Well, um I'm gonna come work for you, bud. Cause I Oh, I can't pay you shit, but you I'd love to have you. Uh, I don't know, man. I got to start running. I'm a fucking fat piece of shit. I look like fat core right now. But the good news is uh, laterals do not have to qualify on PT. Well, I think for uh, just for my own good, good. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. That's... My own wellness. I probably should go for a jog or two. Man, my fucking dog is out of control tonight. All right. Dude, so let's, I got a hound dog, bud. Okay. I got a bloodhound. I don't know what the fucking her problem is. But she's uh, she knows I'm recording and is fucking decides she needs to yell at people right now. I think we're at a good point in the, the podcast to do my little t-shirt giveaway and then we'll get into the questions. So okay. as I do most uh, episodes, I was given a, I don't know, can I call it a grant? I don't know. But I was given some money to that was anonymously donated so I can give away some uh, free shit to guys and gals. So if you want to nominate your buddy, you think they kick ass? Send me an email at poorly made police memes at gmail.com and I will uh, check it out. Not everybody can win, but I'll try and give away as much shit as I can until I run out of money. So they wanted the name money, nominate their buddy, which I will not read her name. She's a badass cop that overcame an injury that occurred on the job. I've learned a lot from her at work. She's one of three Hispanic female officers at the department we work at. She's a single mom with two and busts her ass and works crazy amount of overtime is able to provide for her kiddos. Besides being an amazing officer, she is always sending me your y'all's memes. 
which again, that's not why she won. I'm nominating her because I feel like she deserves recognition. So here's your fucking recognition. You're fucking badass. Everybody give her a, a round of applause. I can hear the millions of people applauding her right now. And I will uh, wait in an email from her and I'll fucking get her some free shit. So, all right, man, are you, uh, you ready to dive into some questions? There's some admin hate in there. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit. Man, I'm as ready as I can be. Yeah, well, don't worry, man. You don't have to do too much. It's poorly made. I'll just start at the beginning this time. I usually do it ask backwards, but start at the beginning here. Oh, so this guy, I like this one. It's not really a question, but you should uh, do the podcast and let him and not let him do the I'm the cool brass. I'm cool routine. Dude, you don't really sound like brass to me. You just kind of sound like a dude that happens to be brass. Perhaps, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So uh, another guy sent in a message and said that, so now I need to have one of your officers come on anonymously and say if you suck or not. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, there, there's always that tension, mind you. So uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and warn you. I, I can't guarantee what you'll get there. Well, I mean, here's the thing is you, <laughs> you can't make everybody happy. I mean, even, you know, let's say you have a, a police department. Look, my police department, when I started, most people generally were happy. But we always found a reason to bitch, right? And we always had a supervisor we didn't like or had a reason not to like people. And fuck, man, we had no idea how good we had it. Yeah. Let's see here. Here, this this will kind of open up the floodgates a little bit, but why are admin cops hypocrites when it comes to use of force when they've been beating the fuck out of people for years? So you obviously, you started, you said you had like 10 years on, right? Right. So you, you know, you weren't here, you know, you weren't on the job in the 90s when things were a little wild, but let's talk about uses of force and as an administrator, how do you look at that shit? And I know things are probably different in Mississippi rather than in a, other than different states. But as an administrator, if you're looking at use of force right now, what are the kind of the things you're looking for? And we'll start kind of broad with what, what are the things you're looking for in the reports or in, um, you know, do you guys have body camera? Oh, uh, we do. We do. Okay. So, I mean, what kind of stuff are, are you looking for to make sure it's, it's, I guess, within policy and within the law? So the, the short answer, that's like the non-answer, then I'll give you the good answer. The short answer is that it has to be within policy. That's the officer's responsibility. And the admin's, uh, the admin's responsibility is to ensure the policies within the law. So, yeah, that's like your, your podium non-answer. But so what we look for, we, we actually just implemented a uh, new use of force review process for any, any use of force that meets our reportable force criteria, which is basically any use of force that involves a tool, like a taser, spray, baton, uh, or anything that results in an injury. It, it reminds me to talk about the, the whole meme you posted recently. I've, I've got a quick point there. Oh, yeah, as far as whatever, yeah, and I think that's basically what this dude, uh, it sounds kind of, like that's yeah, what he's talking about. yeah. It, it kind of detracts it. Uh, so as far as what we're looking for in our use of force review, our policy is based on uh, the gram factors, uh, and not a continuum. We do not have a use of force continuum, uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, are you familiar with the gram at all? Oh, yeah, dude, okay, I'm gonna okay. be honest with you right now is, is you're answering this probably as every fucking cop on earth wants to hear it because that's. That's really what it should be. 
is the Supreme Court has already fucking told us what it is. Now, to be you know fair, what else they told you? What what else they tell you? Go ahead. So what else they told you is that uses of force, such as anything under the Fourth Amendment, are not capable of precise definition or mechanical application, cannot be reduced into a neat set of legal rules. So you, you can't just take a continuum, punch a button, and say, is this level three? You're wrong. There, there's a whole lot of, there, there's a whole lot of, you know, what if that goes into there uh, from the officer's perspective. And that's what all of our policy is based on. Uh, the review, the, the officer gives a statement, you know, when, when he's uh, reviewed by a supervisor and several of the questions that are mandatory that we built into there is, you know, how did the officer explain to you what the tense, uncertain, rapidly evolving circumstances were? How did the officer explain to you what his perception at the time was? Like, for example, we had one where the suspect reached for the waistband. They hadn't been searched yet. And a use of force followed. Uh, the suspect was not armed. But from the officer's perspective, this person's reaching for their waistband. They're not searched. They're fighting me already. So, you know, that, that carries a lot of weight as far as the reasonableness of it. Uh, we asked them from the officer's perspective, do they appear to be under the influence of any kind of, you know, narcotic or alcohol? Do they appear to be mentally disturbed? So we really dig into their perspective because, I mean, we, we've been told by Graham, you do not look at hindsight 2020. So by the time admin looks at this video, we, we know what the injury result was. We know what the call was for. We know what the officer did. But, we'll, but when you look at that video, you're watching that video knowing what the outcome is. And you have to remember when the officer is making that video, it's that whole kind of like on, in route to the call thing, what the hell is going to happen. The officer does not know what's going to happen next. And you really have to give weight to, to that uncertainty. So that, that's a big part of uh, what, our, what our review process seeks Dude, to pull out you, of the officer. Will you run for fucking Congress? Holy fuck. Dude, so to the people listening to this that. podcast, this guy is clearly not brass. He's fucking lying to me. Um, <laughs> anybody that we, we've, I've ever fucking dealt with. So, and what I was going to say earlier is, Paul, you know, departments can make policy and, and law and states can make different laws that, you know, can kind of conflict with, with Graham. But I, I think Graham is, is, that's really how we should be doing things. But that's, that's my personal opinion. But let's, let's dive into the, that meme a little bit. What was the point you wanted to make about that meme? And if anybody's not familiar with it, it's uh, the Hulk when he's angry was 90s cop beating the fuck out of people. And then the smart Hulk is that same 90s cop now as an administrator telling a cop, you know, that used reasonable force that they violated policy. So something I, I tell my guys a lot is that, you know, I'm not saying I've never done this. I'm not saying I didn't, would not maybe do the same thing in your situation. But what I'm telling you is, like, for example, in use of force, the policy standard is the same as the legal standard. Like, this isn't my rule that I made up. Uh, if you violate the standard, you're exposing yourself to civil liability. You're exposed to the Department of Civil Liability because we have to identify you. And, dude, if you get, a, if you get indicted, I can't do nothing for you. I, I hope that never happens. And that's, and that's another thing about Mississippi. That's rare in Mississippi for when they go after cops. But I guess my point is, like, I can defend you internally, but, but externally I am helpless to defend you. So, like, this is the legal standard. It doesn't matter. Uh, what you think I would do? Uh, everyone is is accountable to that standard. So it's not about me saying you're wrong. It's, it's about me warning you and saying, dude, this this is what the law requires. And uh, it, it's just it's just bigger than the administrator. And uh, sometimes you kill the messenger, you know, instead of you know focusing on you know the benefit of the message. That's kind yeah. of what I see. You know, you know. Sure, I guess I, you can whittle that down. I I hear you. I hear I hear yeah. what you're saying there. 
now, fuck, man, I had a great thought, and it just fucking the Doctor oh. Phil meme where he's like stroking out. Uh, yeah. When we introduced this use of force review process, uh, I told my officers to check your page. It's like there's a meme of Doctor Phil stroking out, and it says when your sergeant when you tell him he, you have a use of force, a wreck, and a complaint all in the same call. Yeah, you know that well, one. Uh, what fuck? What I was gonna say is, <laughs> as far as that that meme goes. Here's what I wanted to talk to you about. Here's my thought is, so you say, and I'm not, this question may seem like I'm attacking you, but I'm not attacking you per se, but I'm just trying to make a point is, so you say you get indicted. There's nothing I can do to, as to protect you, right? I can't do anything externally. What about, I mean, and this is a bitch that I have is why aren't departments and I have some examples, several from all around the country where guys are cleared internally, cleared through the DA. And then somebody finds some walk around or, you know, the state attorney general gets involved and now they're getting charged. Why? I, it drives me nuts that the departments, A, never got out in front of this, but B, hey, these officers were cleared. Is that just why don't departments do that? I, I think not to answer your question, my assumption is going to be the long lines of it's political suicide, but what, what are your thoughts on that? Just to clarify your question, like why do administrators not come out and declare that this, uh, you know, this, this officer was above standard or at standard on the use of force? Yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or especially these ones where the guys are fucking being an indicted for shit and they've, they've been, they were cleared by the department. You know, I, it just it's wild to me that the department doesn't go out to bat for these guys. Uh, so if they did, I, I, can, I can answer that from a few different kind of what ifs. You know, so number one, like if if a person gets indicted, an officer gets indicted uh, as a chief, I can't like I don't have the authority to go unindict that person. Like I can, yeah, absolutely, I, I understand thing. that. So I understand and that's that. what I mean. Yeah, and that's what I meant from like, hey, I, like if you get indicted, like I'm I'm out of tricks, you know. Now, as far as like the, I guess the court, the court, the court of public opinion is that, you know, he's indicted, uh, he's going to stay indicted, but you know, do I go to the podium and say, we reviewed this and it, it meets our our policy, whatever standards? Uh, the, the hard answer there is, if it does, it, and your and your standards are correct and your system is correct and you believe in that, then that, that is a good question. Why why don't you, you know? Uh, what I would wonder, without having a specific case to walk through, uh, to kind of make that comparison, uh, yeah, I would wonder if maybe the, the system or the, the review process was broken. Uh, if you look at these DOJ reviews they do on the consent decrees, uh, Newark, New Jersey is one, Ferguson was one, New Orleans is one. They, they do several, and they, they just pick apart the flaws in those processes. So I wonder if those flaws exist, and that's why admin can say, you know, should he have passed that? And again, I don't, we're not talking about any one particular one, but I guess at the end of the day, if, it, if it's what's right is right. And uh, if that's your, if they're wearing your patch on the sleeve and they're acting under your policies and they wind up in trouble outside your department, to me, I feel like you have a duty, you know, uh, to step forward and, and make that known. Dude, you are not brass. I'm just telling you right now. You are not. Everybody I'm sure like is, saw the question like oh we're gonna fucking light this guy up you when i make these memes about the brass it ain't about guys like you man you're a fucking dying breed there's I, there's truth behind all of it you know there's humor which you know humor is truth has pieces to it but it's i, I enjoy those you know i enjoy every every meme you put out 
whether it's poking fun or whatnot. There's, there's you know, something I to be said today, for all man, of it. Security guards are uh, sensitive folks, man. I could, uh, I could, I could believe that. Yeah, I saw, I, I saw a, that developing. Dude, that was that was great. You know, and normally I dive into the comments more, but I'm like, man, I'm just gonna leave this one alone. This is pretty fucking funny. <laughs> and anybody listening, that's a fucking security guard. It's a joke. I fucking work security. I'm an old man. I might work security. I'm not saying sec- all security guards are douchebags, but there are. I make fun of cops 24-7. That's what my page does, and they're cops. They're my brothers and yeah. sisters. <laughs> Calm the That's fuck a good down. point. Calm the fuck down. People like to joke or say, oh, people are so sensitive these days, and then somebody says something that pertains to them and then they become sensitive so just take a deep breath laugh laugh at yourself that self-deprecation is healthy every once in a while i yeah i i wish more people were out there coming out in the forefront i mean i i saw one in the news regarding police departments where a kid was the, the force review looked at, you know, this thing and they said, Hey, well, you know, we're going to put you through some training and, and blah, blah, blah. But they handled it. Body camera comes out, somebody gets it and they throw it out there. Dude, I, I don't know, I mean, I've seen a whole lot of shit worse than that. And, you know, now the chief on that particular department, well, we're going to open an IA. What does that, what message does that send to your fucking troops? If it looks bad, bad. If you've already handled it, and now you're going to go rehandle it again just to fucking appease people. To me, the message should be, okay, yeah, maybe it didn't look pretty, but this is why they did what they did. They were within policy. You know, there was a few training issues we wanted to talk about. We handled it internally. It's over. Now you're going to fucking go open an IA just to fucking make people happy. If it was fucked, it should have been an IA to begin with. Not because a video came out. That's fucking garbage. So the the logical path there is if the first the first outcome of the investigation is not satisfactory because now there's more pressure and we're going to reopen and add to it and make it worse. If that is the just outcome, the other loose end you have is who was in charge of the first investigation and you approved it. So discipline yourself for allowing something you know, subpar to get through yeah, just, Dude, for the, just for the sake of. And that's the accountability thing too, man, is look, I, everybody in their life has fucking done some, something fucked up. Everybody has. That mm-hmm. doesn't mean you can't be, you know, a leader or down the road or anything like that. Learn from your mistakes. I get that. But I, I know these chiefs out there are coming down on shit that they did way worse shit, way worse shit. I, a, a fellow on the last podcast made the point is police right now are probably the best trained ever. And for, even though you hear all this crazy shit in the news, for the most part, cops are better than they ever have been. A lot of the shit from the past kind of rains down from people doing wild shit in the eighties and nineties. And, you know, guy, Oh, I wish we could go back then. Look, man, I, I, I like the respect part of it and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, beating the fuck out of somebody and doing alley rides, that's not in the fourth amendment. It's not. Yeah. It never was. So, you know, that's, I'm not, when I make memes about going back to the good old days, I don't fucking talk about that shit. I'm talking about actually being able to fucking do your job, but that's, it sounds like Mississippi, you're allowed to do that. 
Uh, overall, yeah. Uh, you know, just real quick on the topic of the use of force, indictments, uh, criticism. A, a, a page that I write on is called Lobotomy of the Law. There's an article on this topic exactly. You can find it on Facebook. It's the the uh, group is called Lobotomy, like the, the brain procedure, Lobotomy of the Law. The article I'm referring to is called Good Cop, Bad Cop, Human Defendant. And it makes a comparison. Well, it starts off by just reminding you, okay, officers are employees of some department. They are issued legitimate tools of their trade, such as a taser, a gun, handcuffs, uh, just the same way a surgeon is issued a scalpel. These are tools to do their job. So we know that using force is a legitimate function of your duties as a police officer when it's justified, just like a surgeon legitimately uses a scalpel uh, when it's necessary under medical care. So when an officer, say, say he does make an error in judgment, he makes a mistake about how to do his job that results in the death of a suspect or a person. There is so much automatic outcry, even when there's not an error, just when a person dies at the hands of an officer during a, what may be a totally legitimate use of force, that response becomes so hypocritical when you look at the fact that there are, and I'm not against surgeons, but this is just showing the, the imbalance in the two in, in society of how they view police officers. Surgeons negligently cause the death, according to a statistic, I think Washington Post, they negligently cause the death of 250,000 people per year due to malpractice. Officers, according to the same Washington Post, kill 1,000 people in the line of duty every year, and that's including the justifiable ones. But you don't, you don't ever hear uh, outcry to have a surgeon indicted because he made an error in judgment about how to control you know, unexpected bleeding during a surgical procedure. So what is, like, how do you reconcile, you know, those, those two opinions of each, each profession when at their core, they're the, they're the same, it's the same concept. An employee made a mistake about how to do his job. I'm, I'm not talking about criminal stuff, but I'm just talking about just, just negligent deaths in the line of duty or, or justifiable deaths. Why, why is that imbalance there? And it, it's just, it's just unfairness to officers overall. And it's because of media sentiment and you know, everything else has got us to where we're at today. Yeah. It, it makes it, and obviously the medical stuff is, you know, some of it's pretty intense fucking shit, but that's mm-hmm. a lot of fucking deaths. So this is totally unrelated, but it made me think of it. So I heard a story about somebody went in for surgery. They got done with surgery, feeling sick. They went in, did another surgery, end up taking out an organ because the person was feeling sick and all kinds of shit. And then they did a third surgery because the person was still feeling sick after they did a CAT scan and realized that the first surgery they went in and they knocked, nicked a vein and there was internal bleeding. Mm-hmm. The person still has to pay for all three of those fucking surgeries. Isn't that wild? <laughs> How's that any different than a bad shooting? You know, where the officer Dude, panics. If, you, if you went to McDonald's and they fucked up your burger, they're going to remake you to burger. If somebody fucks up your surgery, what the fuck do you got to pay for them to fix it? That's wild. <laughs> Yeah, I, I never considered that. But yeah, that's uh, that's pouring salt in the wound there. No pun intended. You know, you're talking about that was that was very funny. <laughs> it, it's rare. Humor's rare. Yeah, it's usually so dry it gets missed. But that, that that was a rare event there. But yeah, yeah. that's that's uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you, you brought up some good points there. But yeah, and I hate comparing apples to oranges. But yeah, fuck man, I I think your chances are better off with a cop than a surgeon. Is meth slime a thing in Mississippi? Like a methamphetamine slime? Yes. Uh, not that I know of. Are you familiar with that? 
I'm not. I never, I mean, like, obviously people that were on drugs, their skin was a little different, but Colorado, the air is a little drier, but I, I've heard where it's a little more humid, the the tweakers have more of kind of like a, a slime to them. Not that I've noticed, but with tweakers, uh, and nothing's out of the realm of possibility. Yep. You know, that's right. <laughs> the next question I've got here for you is, do you regret promoting to the brass or do you miss patrol? I miss patrol, yes. I, I miss investigations, uh, especially. Do I regret it? So uh, overall, no, even though there, there's some days that I walk into the office and my, my police uniform is really just symbolic. Like I'm not about to do anything with my badge or go under cuffs. So it's really just symbolic and representative of who I work for. Now, you know, what would lead me to make that transition knowing that, you know, at my core, I, I am the proactive, you know, fun um, having an officer I would say this comes down to you know if you if you think that you're so good that if you were to promote that you would you know, the, the department would lose the benefit of having you in whatever role that you're currently in uh, on front line why can you not promote take that same skill set and vision with you and now you know apply that apply those same types of expectations and motivation to everyone under you so it's kind of the concept of I can take all the all of my positive qualities and uh, and raise an army under me, so to speak, of you know of people that that are productive and motivated. So I think it's more about kind of it's, it's a it's one of those selfless acts that you do. Uh, it's not about money. I, I promise you that. Uh, no, no one's getting rich in the police business, no matter what your rank is. You know, with, with just rare exception of you know major agencies, which we're, we're not in the Mississippi. So it just it just becomes where you make a transition from serving the public to, to serving those under you who in turn serve the public based on how well you serve them. So it's, it's just a way to spread out, you know, your enthusiasm. So I don't regret it from that standpoint, but man, I do miss, I do miss uh, going out and, you know, working calls and working cases and making arrests. I, I was thinking about this the other day and we you kind of touched on it a little bit here, but I thought about all the people that promote and why do you promote? And I never, your answer kind of threw me off because I never thought of it that way necessarily. Because I thought towards the end, I was like, man, sergeant sounds good. I think I could be, I think I could be a good patrol sergeant. And, you know, that obviously never came to fruition. But my rationale for becoming a patrol sergeant was I want to be that guy that understands what the patrol dudes are doing because I always hated look I, I as a supervisor I know there's things you got to do certain things you got to do but I think you can present things in a reasonable way without being a total cuck for the department which I don't like using mm -hmm. that word I don't like throwing that out but uh but for this this I think it fits I think here I never trust a company man you know what I mean now obviously smaller departments I think that could be a little different but on these big, big agencies, I don't trust a company man. There were some great dudes that were company men and were, would do the right thing and would back you up. But in the bigger agencies, or at least in my, my opinion, is it was very cutthroat instead of our job is to fucking fight crime. That's it. That's the only fucking, that's the mission on the department is to fight crime. And people were too busy undercutting each other, which you know, being a supervisor, man, sometimes getting fucking people could help out. Now, some people did deserve to be gotten, 
can't deny that. Yeah. But I always thought, going back to my original thought, I was driving around, I thought, okay, why do people promote? Because they're, they're tired of being a detective. So, all right, I'm tired of being a detective. I'm going to go be a sergeant. All right, fuck. I don't want to be a patrol. I don't want to be a sergeant anymore. I'm going to promote to lieutenant so I can be on the desk. And I, and I think that's just because my reality of, of how police departments and the hierarchy works is warped. Where I think if you get to a department that isn't broken, you actually have people promoting for the reasons that, that you say. I, I think I could probably speak for most dudes in bigger agencies, guys and gals. That's just not how the promotion work. Very rarely are people promoting to do the right thing and to promote being good cops and promote doing the right thing, but also take care of each other. And fuck, man, it, it's, it's just basically a ladder to fucking get up as high as you can. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That was just my two cents on that, man. You, you, you renewed some faith in the, in the world for me. Well, on, on those types of supervisors that are just, you know, they're willing to throw someone under the bus or just want to climb the ladder and get a $2 pay raise, you know, one promotion at a time. Everybody knows who they are. Like everyone listening to this knows who that guy at the department is and or how many of those they have. So, I mean, they're, they're exposed. You know, they're not hiding. Where the accountability comes in is whoever supervises that supervisor. Are they holding them accountable on their performance evaluations? You know, are, are, they, are they monitoring how, what the outcomes are, the situations they preside over? And that's where you got to, that system has to make full circle. That feedback loop has to complete and it, it can't just stop at the first line level. So that's, that, that's the theoretical solution to that that is easier said than done. I hated where you had these guys where you thought they were going to be good supervisors and then they get up into a supervisor position and they turn into total fucking power trip and assholes, which I, mm-hmm. I know I'm sure there's a balance because you, you know, you, you don't want to be walked over as a boss. Definitely. You know, I, I would believe in leading by example type of shit, but man, these guys that you thought were great dudes would fucking get into, you know, even a sergeant's role and they would fucking completely flip the script and start, and they tr- treated every patrolman like a piece of shit. Let's talk about happy stuff. So if you're fucking, if you're going to promote to sergeant, don't fucking forget who you are, man. You can still be a good dude that people like and still do the job, what you need to do, even though the role has changed a little bit. Do you right. think that brass would benefit from doing a patrol shift once a month? Yeah. Uh, short answer, yes. You know, uh, let them test out their own procedures. It's, uh, it's really easy to just keep piling requirements on. You know, to help you with uh, whatever data you're trying to gather or, your, or whatever, you know, whatever fail safe you think you have in place. But uh, it's always good just to go back to the driver's seat, go through, you know, go through all those steps. And if those steps are that important and you can see how, you know, how much manpower it consumes, then you have a decision to make is what's more important, the, uh, the manpower availability or the procedure. I'm either going to add more manpower to make up for the fact that I'm asking an officer to do a field interview card after every single traffic stop, no matter what the enforcement outcome is. Uh, I just have to accept it's going to take that much more manpower. So uh, I think it would help with those types of decisions and kind of just bring reality back to the picture. Uh, So the other side of me says that, you know, usually in the perfect world where those types of requirements are put on, uh, the frontline officer is trying to measure something to improve something, but it's, it's so, it's just easy for us to, for, uh, upper ranks to just forget the burden that that puts on, on everyone else below them. So uh, to, to answer your question, uh, yeah, t- you know, time allowing that, I think that'd be a great break from the desk and kind of a chance to, uh, just kind of test drive your own 
your own requirements? Dude, every answer you give, I'm like starting to research Mississippi. Cause it was not, I mean, that specific example, we would keep getting shit added on to what we were supposed to do that they're like, well, this is going to ease the burden on the records unit, or this is going to ease the uh, burden on the property unit. Fuck. What about easing my fucking burden? I got like 30 calls pending and I have to fucking do clerical work. And you literally hire people. Now, part of that is probably miscommunication. I'm sure they had a hard job to do too, but shit would, at least in my agency, shit would get dumped on a patrol and no one would ask patrol. Hey, do you guys have time for this? Is well, fuck you guys. Here's another form to fill out. So I I appreciate that you. Uh, that's what I appreciate about you is, is that you uh, actually fucking listen to what your guys are saying. So I mean, li- listening doesn't always guarantee you know that you're going to get what you want. I'm I'm always happy to listen, but uh, there there are certain things that aren't you know up for negotiation, and I just have to accept. You know, if I'm going to put that requirement on you. I'm going to have to accept that something, there, there's a give and take, you know, there, there's going to be less yeah, productivity, something, you know, other shoe drops somewhere. All right. So we're going to jump in, get out of uh, the supervisor stuff for a couple of questions here. You specifically, how do you deal with the stress of the job? Me, uh, I'm, I'm analytical. So to get away or to solve the problem of stress, I have to diagnose the problem of stress. What's causing the stress is usually a loose end, uh, if I can nail down that loose end or just confront the problem, that, that's usually the only way to really make it go away. Everything else, you know, kind of just kicks the can. You know, if you talk about blowing off steam or, you know, whatever else, that, that works in the moment, but that problem's still waiting. So the only true solution to stress is to attack your problems and just go into the source of it. You know, other than that, that that's the real answer. The other, the other healthy version of kicking the can down the road and blowing off steam, I'd say, is exercise. I've always been an exerciser. And the past couple of years, I've done not as good of a job as you know, maintaining my identity as an exerciser. But every time I do, man, I feel I just feel the blood, blood pressure is lower instantly. My, my mind is decluttered. So I'd say yeah. exercise and then just taking action on problems are, are my two go-tos. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about exercise a little bit because I, I mentioned earlier, I'm starting to look like fat Thor and I'm not going to make excuses. I just haven't been out there and getting it. And it makes a big difference when you're how many times you fucking get up early and you're like, fuck, I don't want to do this. But then once you fucking sure. do it, you feel yeah. fucking great. And it, I mean, it makes your whole day better. So, yeah, I, exercise is important. I should probably fucking do a couple jumping jacks, maybe some burpees before I die of a heart attack down here. Do you now you've got, you know, a bunch of experience and done a bunch of things. Do you have any advice for a guy going through FTO right out of the academy? Uh, number one, it's going to be stressful. Just accept that. Once you set that expectation, everything else will kind of flow. Uh, understand your FTO. Now, this isn't like the – this is the answer for the trainee. This is not like a good organizational answer. But for the trainee, just know that your, your FTO holds the key. Uh, so if you disagree, you know, as long as we're talking excluding illegal, immoral, all that kind of stuff. But if you just think you got a better way, uh, you know, get, get through the program, you know, get on your own and then go from there and just know that that difference of opinion and those, uh, those types of situations are really what the FTO program is founded on. That's why they're, you're supposed to ideally rotate through FTOs. So just, if you see a disagreement, just accept that recognizing that disagreement is still training you, even though you may not want to follow 
that method once you get out. So just be, to be be ready for something that's not cut and dry and be ready for stress and just be ready to perform. I like it, dude. I like it. <laughs> this is pretty funny. Does brass get ass? Do they get ass? Yeah, man. Does that help you get an ass? <laughs> uh, does, does being brass help? So we talking, uh, you know, since this is poorly made, you know, we're always talking about nurses and everything else. Are we, are we talking about that or? Anything, you know, I man. I find myself. <laughs> Nurses. Short answer, no. You know. Uh, we are, are you married now, though, right? No, man. I'm, uh, I married a cop, and it didn't work out. So uh, here I am single again. Uh, big okay. surprise there. Yeah, funny story. We actually get along uh, really well now. Uh, we, we talk from time to time. And every time we talk, it's, uh, it's, it's about cop stuff. So I've got cop situations, uh, bending about something or brainstorming about something. But as far as the question of does it help getting ass, uh, I, I don't think it does at all. I've, I find myself out in public and I'm wearing, you know, if I'm wearing my polyester, you know, full class A uniform, and not just on the topic of women, but just, just general recognition by the public. You know, people walk up and say like, hey, my neighbor's uh, playing music loud at night. And that tells me <laughs> they don't know what collar brass is. You know, they just see an officer. So. Uh, I think if you were trying to use that at the bar to uh, you know, gain an edge with women, I, I don't think uh, I don't think they appreciate it or, or care. I'm so going to give a pro tip there. Don't meet okay. women at bars. Yeah, and uh, to be honest, I hadn't seen a bar in quite some time. But that's the kind of just your generic, you know, just oh. out in public type. I hear you. I just I try to throw out little tidbits of information for all the rookies out there so they don't get their pension taken. You got to watch out for that, you know. Uh, I've seen some horror stories. Uh, Did you say horror stories? Yes, horror. Horror. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I thought you said horror stories. My bad. Anyway, go on. Well, that's 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 the horror of it, you know. Oh. But yeah, just just seen some stuff where I was like, man, you're you're a strong person for for going through that. As far as just divorce stories, people getting ruined and everything. It's dude, divorces. Uh, fuck, man. That on so many fronts. That's got to be terrible you know i'm 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 on my starter wife and hopefully my my end wife so i can't talk about any of that shit but man i've seen plenty of my friends go through some fucking terrible terrible shit through divorces so yeah so try and pick a winner there do not promote if you want to get laid either is what we we've learned on this podcast in your opinion is right now the worst you've ever seen for law enforcement or were you just are we just exaggerating? If you turn off the news, uh, to me, it goes away. A lot of that goes to, you know, where I'm working, the region and everything. But as far as is it the worst, you know, just overall, I mean, shoot, I'd say so. I mean, when was the last time you saw the coverage of people cheering for a cop to be, you know, convicted at a criminal trial? And that's, that has nothing to do with uh, whether or not you think that the conviction, you know, was the correct response. Uh, you know, I'm not getting into that necessarily with my answer, but just, just the amount of push that you saw and the in the hatred you saw, uh, it wasn't people necessarily looking at a situation, evaluating it, and saying that's right or that's wrong. You just saw a lot of people picking sides that were just either for police or not for police, and it didn't matter what the facts were. So just seeing that on a nationwide level uh, tells me that the to, to me from my perspective uh, that looks like that looks like we're breaking new ground on you know, on what the sentiment toward law enforcement is. You look at the comments on major news agencies on the officer-involved shooting story, they, they try to slant it uh, to make the officer look shady. The comments, you know, pile on, that's what they want to hear. Um, yeah, that's what I see. 
that, that the kind of the, the era that a lot of people started with, uh, it kind of got revived with the, uh, the Ferguson, Missouri story, you know, the last, they kind of been, been good for a while. It hadn't really been there since the, you know, the uh, Rodney King story. Then the OJ story was the other kind of the closure to that chapter as far as the, the peak of the sentiment. So I think we're kind of riding another wave and you know, everything cycles. And I, and I definitely think that we're somewhere at the, at the height of that cycle. I hope. Yeah, I, I hope too. All right. So I've got a few more questions left, but I want to hit the, I'm going to hit the hateful ones first and then we'll finish off with some other stuff. Okay. Uh, the first one is funny as shit. Is there a single moment when you betray patrol or does it happen slowly? Uh, it's hard to accept the question phrased that way. First of all, <laughs> this is my Jen Saki moment where I have to like correct the question before I can give you the answer. Uh, so is there a single moment where your perspective shifts is the question I'm going to answer in that. And I think that usually comes with an, Oh shit moment. Uh, you know, Oh shit, this happened under my watch. Uh, and it goes back to like, well, we can, we can, we can screw over the officer. We can throw him under the bus, but that really, if everyone's being honest with themselves, that doesn't fix the problems. Like how did this happen? Like what allowed this to happen? You know, this started before, before that one tragedy or that one, whatever that oh shit moment is. So I think there's, there, there are sometimes that, that bright line moment. And then from there, there's the response. Just in speaking in generalities with the general question, the general answer, I'd say that's kind of, kind of what I can give you on that. So, so somewhere reality kicks in and with a consequence, now, whether you respond to that ethically is a whole nother. Yeah. Let me ask you this. And I fuck, dude, I can't remember if we'd already hit record, but you talked a little bit about, you know, how, how do you fix a police department? You fucking, you fire the chief and then everything's, everything yeah. saved. The, you know, we saved the yep, city, Patrick. Go. That is a thing though, right? Is I think as far as how, I, and I'm curious, how many good chiefs, like actually good chiefs, and I, I can't say, I, I have no real opinion on this. this, is more like a hypothetical, but how many good chiefs have been lost because some dummy did something dumb that maybe they didn't even hire? And now maybe there could have been, you know, maybe there are warning signs and they were ignored, but how many times, you know, do we, does, okay, we fired the chief because something happened, but, you know, maybe that officer skates. I, I'm curious how much, you know, we, we always make that point of, you know, brass always fucks us, but I wonder, and I'm just, I'm just pondering. I don't, I don't have an answer to this. I'm just something for us to chew on. And maybe you have an opinion, but how often are, you know, they, the city takes a shortcut, like, well, we're going to fire the chief and that's going to fucking fix everything where maybe the apartment wasn't, was pretty smoothly running. except you know, this one guy made a fucking huge mistake or he's an idiot. It, it happens. Yeah. It all depends on what your, you know, as a chief and what your, relationship with your city government is and again that's something where you know we're, we're blessed in mississippi generally to have you know pro-law enforcement you know environments but i would say just on that topic of you know a one one bonehead doing something that brings shame to the whole department you know i walk into a city council meeting to be appointed uh, i would face that city council before i'm appointed again maybe an interview and say look i'm telling you right now bad things are going to happen while I'm, you know, over this department, it's the nature of the beast that there, there will be problems. There will be things that do not go right. What I'm asking you today is if you appoint me not to judge me by that one individual incident, I want you to judge me by what is the, what are the circumstances surrounding that 
the, you know, whether adequate control measures in place, whether, you know, adequate systems in place to one that should have identified this, you know, as a, as a rising and coming problem. Did we miss that? You know, was there adequate training and po policy in place? If this truly is just a freak situation where an officer uh, knowingly deviated from standard, he'll be handled. And uh, I, I ask you not to judge the entire department by that. Now, on the other hand, if all those things are lacking, you know, all those overall surrounding things are lacking, then yeah, absolutely. That's, that's on me. And the, that probably is a situation uh, that you're speaking to where it is, it is a solution to say like, you know, we gotta, we gotta start fresh with someone that's going to come here and line this stuff out. So that's, uh, you know, that's kind of my thoughts on the, the one-off situation. You always got to zoom out from that one-off situation and say, okay, well, that's, that's what happened, but how, how did we get there? Well, and I've talked about it several times is we have this kind of this instant gratification on everything. So rather than taking a good look at everything and really looking things over, oh, we're going to fucking pull the string and, and that's going to solve everything. Uh, let's see. This guy had like four questions, but I think it was one question. So we'll try and we'll try and, and, uh, and help him out a little bit. But I think what he was basically getting at is his department just went to uh, a different style, like an external vest. Do you guys have those or mm -hmm. no? Yeah, we do. The Molly okay. type outer carrier. Okay. Is that mandated or is that, um, is there, can people wear different things? They're welcome to wear the under the vest, old fashioned kind under polyester, but I, I haven't seen anyone that prefers that over the outer carrier. Okay. So I guess in this guy's circumstances, that's the only thing they allow. And it, you know, for whatever reason, he's not comfortable in it. As a mm -hmm. two and a half year cop, would you, do you have any advice for him to go talk to his department about that? Or would you just fucking sit down and shut up and enjoy it? Kind of a broad question, but it's kind of the way I would narrow my way to, to what his concerns are. Number one, what is your uniform policy state? Ours gives you a choice of three classes of uniforms. The most casual being the outer carrier that everyone prefers. It's still a valid uniform choice if you want to dress it up more. So number one, to start, what, what does your policy allow? That may answer your question right there. Uh, if you're asking for some kind of exception from policy, then you would need to get into, you know, why? You know, do you have a back problem? Yes, I got a medical issue. Those are kind of, those are kind of uh, sensitive areas for admins. If they hear those flags go up, you know, it, it's kind of a risky thing to bring up because you don't, you don't want to get to the point that you make such a good argument that you're so injured that you're no longer qualified for your position. <laughs> but what they would be looking for is, is there a reasonable accommodation I can make this officer, you know, for, you know, for whatever his concern is. So it, it ultimately boils down to why, I guess. Number one, check your policy. And it looks like reading through his questions, because they, they got fucking mixed in here. So they're not in order, but I'm trying to uh, decipher everything. But it, he basically thinks they look like shit and they're uncomfy. And he, he's looking for guidance uh, about how to talk to the brass about it. I mean, yeah. Uh, I, I personally, I probably wouldn't say anything, you know. And if they, if they buy you the uniform and they buy, pay you for you by the hour to wear the uniform, everybody's wearing it. It just depends what your relationship with your, with your brass is. But generally, I wouldn't expect uh, in his situation, I don't know if I'd really expect that to really accomplish any change. Dude, I'm not keeping you too late, am I? No, not at all. Okay. So as a supervisor – do you mind having a proactive cop? Do you, you know, is that, is that problematic for you or because based on what we said before you talked about before, I don't think it would be, but now in a supervisory role, do you, do the proactive fellows cause problems for you? 
it's not proactiveness. It's, uh, you know, how are you being proactive? Are you, are you following the rules? Are you following policy while you're being proactive? If that's the answer. You know, the, the old saying is, if you're not getting complained on, you're not working. If, if your complaint is that, that I get is that this officer is working, that's fine. I don't, I don't mind dealing with that. Where it becomes problematic is when they're not holding themselves a standard as a means to an end to accomplish whatever, you know, proactiveness that they're doing. Uh, that's a problem. But I, I think our, our most proactive officer is like running away with it stat-wise. He has squared away procedurally. Uh, he gets fewer complaints per contact than a lot of our less active officers, but he still gets more complaints. So like he's, we're talking like five times as many arrests in a, in a quarter than other guys. So, uh, you know, proportionally, he gets very few complaints. I don't mind his complaints because everything's always checking out on him. But as far as having a balanced, uh, a balanced department, I think we spoke about this earlier. I can't remember if we were off air at that point. But uh, if every single member of the department was a meat eater, I would probably have a lot of tension inside the department because uh, that, that was me. I was the meat eater guy. And if they ever partnered, if the lieutenant ever partnered me with another meat eater, I found we fought each other more than we fought crime because if he made a stop, you know, the routine was if he makes the arrest and the car has to be towed, he transports, have to stay behind to complete the tow form. And then while he's out of service uh, with his arrestee, you know, the rest of the ward, I have to field all the extra calls. So if you, you have to kind of have that yin and yang on, on your partnerships and your shift balance, you know, now I'm working wrecks instead of finding dope. So there, you can, you can have too many meat eaters as far as just what their relationships with each other are. But as far as administrator, man, I think it's great. Uh, if the guys are proactive, if they're, if they're doing it right, and they're hitting the right targets and they're not, you know, roughing a lot of feathers as far as, you know, miss, misfiring their efforts towards people that are, you know, where they're barking up the wrong train, the, the wrong tree consistently, then, uh, yeah, I'm all for it. All right. So we're going to go down the rabbit hole a little bit here. And I, I talk about this a lot last podcast. I'm waiting for hate mail. I haven't gotten it yet, but we'll see what happens. Are you familiar okay. with all the kids that are calling themselves goons? Calling themselves what? Goons. No, not, not as far as what you're referring to, I don't think. Okay, so it's it's a somewhat newer thing. There, there's a lot of cops that call themselves goons, which I think in this environment, I get what they're saying, but I think right now, you know, you don't you don't want to get indicted and have you know have a fucking profile picture of you wearing a shirt calling yourself a goon or something in your fucking Facebook and oh I'm just out doing yeah. goon shit because you know I, when you think of the word goon, it's somebody doing shit they probably shouldn't be doing. Yeah. And, I, I think it's probably an enduring term of, you know, proactive cops that, man, maybe, maybe come up, come up with, with something different. Meat eater, man, I think that could mean several different things, but we won't get into this because it's family friendly. <laughs> um, <laughs> as far as like the, the proactive thing, and, and I just wanted to touch on this is, and we talked about this off air, is I think, I agreed with you, there's you kind of have to have your different roles within the maybe a shift or a department. Like there's guys that are better at different things and they do that. And there's guys that are better being proactive and they do that. But where it loses me is I think even if you're not a proactive cop or even if you're not, uh, you know, the guy that likes to do an investigation, dude, if you're a proactive guy and you're losing all your cases, you know, maybe it's because they don't like dope crimes, but Dude, are you, are you fucking violating Fourth Amendment rights? Are you not articulating your searches? It's you have to be a complete package in whatever you do. 
And if you're a guy that likes just answering calls and, and doing whatever and taking wrecks and just taking calls and being done with it, if you come across dope and guns and something good, you have to be able to take care of that too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, everybody can have what they like to do, but just you have to be able to, and, and the police work, you have to have the ability or, or at least understand how all of it works. As this is the yeah. rant I had. I guess what I meant by the whole like misfire thing on your proactive guys. Uh, so if they're proactive, they're having a lot of contacts in the community. They're, they're a big PR tool for you, whether good or bad. And, you know, one situation that kind of rubbed me the wrong way is one, one of our guys that's meat eater made a stop, searched the car, got, you know, got consent, searched the car, dug forever, did some field interview questions, you know, asked about a history and whatnot. And everything turned up clean. He, he had just, it, from hindsight 2020, he, he had just misfired and barked up the wrong tree. It, it happens, no big deal. What I disliked about it was ultimately what her complaint was, is that when they got done searching me, you know, McDonald's parking lot, you know, on Main Street for, you know, God and everyone to see, uh, they just left. You know, like, like no one acknowledged, you know, what just happened, you know. And I, I'm not necessarily saying the officer should apologize, but just explain like, man, yeah, I appreciate your cooperation. This is a routine that we go through just to ensure that, you know, you know, criminal activity, blah, blah, blah. Just something to smooth over and just kind of just acknowledge that, yeah, I just basically accused you of, you know, of having dope. You know, people feel judged there. Uh, and I don't say that to try to, to try to neuter the officer or anything, but it's just, you gotta, you just gotta remember that that impression is going to stick with that lady uh, for a while. And, you know, one, one contact at a time that can do a lot of damage over, over the long haul. Dude, you brought up a great point and I'm surprised it hasn't come across in these 20 episodes of the podcast, but I always, I always bitch about admin not getting out ahead of shit and explaining to the public why cops do this and that. Mm-hmm. But, and I'm sure you've been there. How many fucking calls have you been on where a bunch of cops show up, do a bunch of crazy shit, and then we leave? Just fucking leave without explaining anything. Oh, yeah. And I always found, and you couldn't, obviously you can't satisfy everyone, but fucking explaining shit just goes a long way. Now, obviously, like the drunk guy that you've arrested and, you know, you at, after a certain amount of times, you're, you're never going to explain to that drunk guy why you had PC for the DUI. He's, he's drunk. Right. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's never going to happen. But a lot of these other circumstances, a lot of other calls, and I get you're busy and you have a lot of shit to do, but if you just take a couple minutes to just talk to people and ex- explain what you did and why you did it, especially especially let's say and fuck I don't even know if this happens anymore but you're you get a robbery call you get a matching car similar plate you go stop that car you do a high risk stop that's not the people Uh, you dust them off you let them go take the time Mm -hmm. to explain why you did what you did maybe maybe they'll understand they might not but I found you know I, I had a guy that his car got stopped. We did a felony stop on because it came up as, as stole and it wasn't. And just taking a couple minutes to explain to him why we, you know, we stopped cars like that and the associated crimes with stolen cars. And he was like, oh, okay, that sucks, but I get it. Word to the wise on that shit. It's, it's just take a few seconds to explain things. Um, not necessarily apologizing. Yeah. You, know, you could say, Hey, sorry for the inconvenience, but this is why we did it. But fuck man, just those couple extra seconds, that could honestly earn you 
a new supporter on the street and not to go down the fucking rabbit hole. But you never know uh, who's going to be there in your moment of need. Might not be another cop. And especially if you work a beat or if you work in a small city, uh, you know, the, the support is important. And fuck, man, you, even even some of the shitheads on the street, man, if they see something bad happen to you, they may they may help you. They might not, but they may. So, you know, we shouldn't go around making enemies, make memes about security guards. Um, but you don't, <laughs> happens you don't in jails all the time. Yeah, happens in jails all the time. Inmates, uh, you know, they come and rescue a CO that's getting stomped because overall yeah. they had the support for that inmate. Yeah. I mean, yeah, even as a CO, and that's, I never worked in corrections, but you never know fucking when that riot happens, you probably don't want to be that guy on the list. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. respect, respect goes a long way, man, for sure. All right. Uh, my phone closed, so I got to take two seconds to find our questions again. Um, I'm gonna. We've got enough of the brass hate. I don't think we need to go over any more of that. Have you noticed? And this honestly might be where we leave things because it's a good good place to wrap up. But have you noticed since you've how how long have you? If you don't mind me asking, how long have you been the assistant chief? About a year at this point. Okay. Are you guys have having trouble recruiting or finding cops with everything going on right now? Uh, when I first got there. Uh, the well was dry, and where we're at now, we're actually overhired by one officer and have several applications in the stack, and we don't pay well compared to who surrounds us. So we're, we're currently our, – our cuff runneth over at this moment with uh, our roster and applications, so I'm hoping that lasts, but we, we do have a good supply of applicants currently. Is that people fleeing Tennessee? Not so much. Uh, we don't really get the Tennessee jump overs. Uh, it's more so the uh, the county in between us and Tennessee. Uh, we're kind of, you know, so we pay less than, because we're small, you, won't, you know, we're not as well funded. So we pay less. So, you know, we get a lot of officers that kind of need a timeout for one reason or the other. Some of them are, some of them are wanting to get their foot in the door, uh, you know, if they're uncertified, which is, you know, is own reason. But they have to get a lot of uh, uncertifieds wanting to go to the academy. We get a lot of others that either uh, are leaving a surrounding agency, uh, just, you know, looking for uh, a new environment. Chief and I came to this department uh, about the same time within the year. So we're kind of trying to rebrand the place. So, you know, that's drawn some attention, uh, which, I, you know, some of the applications are, you know, in direct response to that. And I guess the remainder are kind of just randoms. So it's, it's a combination of things. For people that are looking to get into law enforcement, as someone that I presume is in the hiring process, what what type of and obviously this can't be an all you know a be all end all because you know your your circumstance and your vision and the way you see things are probably different than a lot of other people in leadership positions. But with that with that little disclaimer, what kind of what kind of shit are you looking or, or what kind of person are you looking for as a as a basic top? You know what kind of personality type things i mean what, what, what are you looking for? in a perfect world i'd like to see someone that's creative uh they can somehow demonstrate creativity to us uh the ability to analyze and understand because that's you, know, you get to that proactive thing all over again you know you're talking about making a pretextual stop and then quickly leapfrogging into you know three different topics to get to you know whatever it is that you're after consent or you know, whatever 
other investigation they're doing. So creativity is a common uh, attribute of successful proactive officers. Otherwise, ability to relate, just a, uh, the ability to communicate. Uh, that, that's your best tool, whether you're the proactive guy or whether you're just the PR guy. We need both of them. So if you can communicate, you're more effective in whatever it is that you're trying to do. So we always try to look for someone that can answer a question and explain why and make it, I don't say entertaining, but you know, just communicate effectively enough that I understand everything that you're trying to tell me and, and, and why you'd be effective. Other than that, just being trainable because you're walking into a world where it, it is paramilitary, it is systemized, and uh, there, there's a lot of procedures that you're just going to have to just accept. So trainability, trainability and creativity, and you know, those are two things you can really say are in a way or at odds with each other. If you're saying, I want to train you to do this the same way every time, but within those bounds, I want you to be creative. And that's really what makes you know law enforcement, you know, kind of the uh, you know the, the unique thing that it is. Damn, dude, I like that. You're gonna get like 30 guys hired with that. <laughs> um, and I apologize, my fucking I lose my voice, man. I got to get it back. Do podcast. I can't lose my voice. Some more whiskey that'll make me better. That'll help. That always helps. Well, hey, man, I uh, I appreciate you taking the time this evening to uh, to talk to me. Uh, you were fucking. You're great, man. It, it gave me some hope, and I hope too many people don't think I'm simping to you, man. But I honestly, the shit that you said really, I would look for in somebody in a leadership position because I, I just fucked, man. My and I can only talk about my experience. I only work one place. Most of the people in leadership positions on that department are, yeah, we'll just not even get into that. Again, thank you. And as you know, I do a little word of the day for the people to try and throw on their reports and maybe get in over the air. Do you have a word for the millions of people that listen to the podcast? As far as a word, I can't really give you one as far as a vocabulary word to throw into your report, but a word rather that embraces a concept, and that would be system. Uh, I, I use that word, I'm sure, several times in this podcast. Uh, my brain is always thinking systemically, systematically, rather. Uh, so you're looking for processes, uh, kind of visualizing yourself as something that's mechanically designed. And for any process that's repeatable, uh, you want to have a system for it. And so especially kind of more so in, uh, like we have domestic violence checklist uh, for every time you go to a DV call. Yeah, that's a system. So where else can you apply systems, you know, in, in your career that would uh, ensure high quality results? That, that's something that you can start, you know, on the first line uh, role. And if you understand that, you understand business. And whether that business is the police department, the shoe factory at McDonald's, Jimmy John's, whatever the case may be, systems are at the core of all organizational success. And the organization can't succeed without a, a, a high producing high-performing first-line employee. So train yourself to think that way. I think you'll do yourself uh, a lot of favors in the long run. I, I said <laughs> several times in this podcast that you're not brass, but you've just established yourself as brass because I was asking for a silly word and you just lectured it. <laughs> I missed it. Okay. Uh, silly word. <laughs> yeah. No, but it's system now. You, you have to put system in your report. Uh, I'm committed. You're committed. You're committed put system in your report system in your report i followed the systems and procedures uh perfectly yeah on this call there are no further questions at the end try that <laughs> yeah uh e-body <laughs> camera nothing further to report nothing you, further um and you've given lots of uh, good advice and solid information to all the kiddos listening out there 
Do you have any, in general, words of wisdom that you want to pass along to the million people that listen to this podcast? Enjoy the job. Uh, enjoy the creativity that it gives you. Uh, don't don't worry about what the haters are doing on the internet, Facebook, the news. Uh, just remember your why. Remember what led you to be here in the first place. Uh, reference that. Stick to that. Always do the right thing. That's my Captain America sign off, I suppose. See, that was... That was fucking epic, man. I, I always like to remember your why, man, because that that's really I stole everything. that from my chief if he's listening. I, I did I plagiarized that part. Uh, I think he plagiarized that from somewhere else. I think that's been well stolen. I'm sure. <laughs> well, very well stolen. But you know, I fuck dude, I think I'm I forgot my why a long time ago. I need to kind of sit down and rethink my life. I don't want to sell death sticks anymore. Sorry, man, I've been watching a lot of Star Wars lately. Fucking watching my kids and watching Star Wars. All right. Well, hey, dude. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate that. If uh, any of you guys out there want to support the podcast, several ways to do that. At the end of this podcast, there's a little link. You can uh, put your credit card in there, your mom's credit card, or you know, maybe tweakers you stole. I don't know. They stole it from somebody else. <laughs> and uh, you can put a little donation in there every month. It's kind of like a Patreon, except you don't get anything special. But it keeps the lights on down here in my sex dungeon. And... You can buy some poorly made merch. The holidays are coming in. You can uh, buy some fine, fine, fine mugs for your your husband or, you know, if there's a nurse out there, I'm sure she'd like something. Figure it out. And, uh, of course, fucking supporting the sponsors. Uh, real quickly, I, I put out the other day, and this is coming out in like a week, but the other day I put out this thing for small businesses. Hit me up. I'll promote. I'm pretty sure every fucking small LEO business on the history of the planet fucking hit me up. So I've got a lot of fucking people coming up. So there's a lot of new and different and different companies and all kinds of, there's all kinds of guys and gals out there that are in law enforcement and have a side hustle. So remember, you know, especially with the holidays coming up or whatever, you know, this is a good time to support those small businesses and maybe find something for somebody and fucking get it before the holidays. So uh, check out my uh, my sponsors and with that said everybody fucking be safe out there and remember that I love most of you bye bye <laughs>